We have been in a series on spiritual coverings now for quite some time. I'm talking about the eight types of spiritual coverings. The title of the series is The Function and Power of Spiritual Coverings. And within this series, I've taught a number of series. I've taught about prayer coverings. I've taught about blood coverings, worship coverings, grace coverings, love coverings, so many things. We take the text from Numbers 19, 14 through 15. <clears throat> this is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. The tent was their dwelling place. And anyone living within this tent um, with, would, would be exposed to the contamination of their environmental surroundings. If death came in, a plague, um, and so, a body died, there was the danger of contamination and the spread of disease. And this is extremely important because the spiritual analogy here that is drawn from this is that what God really is talking to us about is that that. It, these vessels that were not covered, which could become contaminated and were rendered unfit for men, men to use because they would carry contamination, are a type of us people. Those unclean vessels that had become contaminated could not be used for seven days. They had to go through a purification process, a disinfection process, uh, a disinfecting process, and uh, they had to become uncontaminated on the eighth day. Uh, then, the, which is eight, is the number of new beginnings. They could be rendered usable once more. Well, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. If we're not covered, there is death that is working around us constantly. You don't believe it? Look at the attitudes that are out there right now. Look at some of the craziness that's going on. You can get your spirit all tied up in a knot. It can render you unfit for use by the master. You can become... Uh, you know, consumed with a passion for the wrong things and that completely render you as being unqualified for the master and you've got to go through a decontamination process, a disinfecting process as it were, which literally means you start all over again until you can come back to a point of new beginnings. And the reason I stress this is we don't have time to have to start all over again every few years. Or even every few months. Can I hear somebody say amen? I don't want to have to go back to the starting place constantly in my life and try to rebuild my life and then fall back to that and have to start all over. No. Yet that is exactly what very many people are doing. I see it happen, for example, in marriages. That people that ought to be at the place Jerry and I are at right now in our marriage where in just three weeks from now we will have been married 50 years. And people ought to be in the sweet times of their life. <clears throat> They're working on second, third, and fourth marriages, always starting over. And if that's you, I'm not condemning you. Please don't misunderstand. I want the marriage you're in right now to work. Amen. But you need spiritual coverings. And so the analogy was in ancient Israel, Israel was covered by a cloud. We always saw that cloud as vertical. It wasn't. Unless Israel was getting ready to move, the cloud would go vertical and God would say, follow the cloud. And it would move. But in Psalms 105, it said he spread the cloud over them for a covering. That's like you spread butter on a piece of toast for your breakfast in the morning and jam. Spread it out over them. Everything under that cloud walked in a supernatural dimension of protection and provision. Enemy couldn't attack. In the middle of a desert... 
that reached 140 degrees in the, the summer where it rained less than one inch every 10 years. They had a rock that followed them that produced a river of water, manna on the ground every single day when they got up. I mean, it was unbelievable what God did. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their, their, their shoes didn't wear out. There is a place under a covering where the, the, these forces that are at work hang around on the edge and the periphery like wolves trying to drag down, you know, a little newborn calf that's born out in the wilderness somewhere. Or like in the Maasai Mara, the Serengeti, where I've passed through so many times, these lions, they hang around these, 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 the, the wildebeest or the zebras or the Cape buffalo, waiting to pull one of them down that straggles and gets away from the rest of the herd. Well, God doesn't want that to happen to us. He wants us to be covered. I'm going to read a verse next that's going to talk to you about uh, ministry coverings. And it is one of the most... Um, Unliked verses in all of the Bible. I want to say this before I read it. That if a verse is unliked and people do not appreciate it and love it, I want to point out it is probably, in fact I'll say it is definitely, the result of either misunderstanding that, that verse or having that verse modeled for you in the wrong way. That someone has abused and misrepresented the truth of that scripture. And how do I know that that's underneath an inherent dislike for that word because the Bible says the word of God is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's like silver, like gold. It's more to be desired than fine gold, the Bible said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if there's something that I run across in the Bible that I don't like, guaranteed somebody has misrepresented the meaning of that verse to me or modeled it incorrectly. Amen. Now watch this. Hebrews 13. I want to show you the most disliked verse in the Bible. Verse 15 and 8 through 18. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often should you sacrifice to God? Come on, help me out here. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You don't just praise him in the good times. You got to praise him when you don't feel like praising him. <clears throat> When it's a sacrifice to get up on Sunday morning, you've got to get up anyway. You've got to sacrifice your praise to God. Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So now we go from sacrifices that are vertical to God to horizontal sacrifices, which are to help and benefit humanity, and that pleases God. Then verse 17, the most disliked verse in the Bible, obey those who have the rule over you. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Bet you haven't heard that taught anywhere recently. Pray. For, in fact, notice it's getting quiet in here right now. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. I want to point a few things out before I get started here today, but first let's pray. Father... I thank you for your divine presence that was so sweet and real here in worship a moment ago that's been here all throughout this morning. I pray that today you will minister to us, speak a word to our hearts, and do what must be done and that you, through the convincing ability of the Holy Spirit, get into our hearts, cause us to throw out paradigms and understandings of Scripture that made us hostile to receiving it. 
and instead position us to see the value and the benefit and the beauty of it that we might embrace it. Create in our hearts a love for all of your word, God, that we would want to apply every bit of it in our lives, that we might walk in the authority of it and the benefit of it. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Shout it out loud, in Jesus' name. Let's look at verse 17. First of all, a few key words that we'll look at, obey. Now, we hate that word right up front. Obey. Don't want anybody telling us what to do. Did you know in the Greek that it doesn't mean that I'm giving you orders or someone else is giving you orders? What it actually means is to be persuaded, to be persuaded, to have confidence in it and to trust and believe. It's impossible to trust in something that has done you harm. You become distrustful of things that hurt you. When this word says obey, what it means is simply that my responsibility as a pastor and as a part of your ministry covering is to live and preach and teach in such a way and interact with you in such a way that I persuade you of the value of following the teaching of the Word of God. It's not this crossed or bless God, I'm, I'm the big cheese, the chief honcho, that you see so many people misrepresent this verse as meaning. It means that you are to be persuaded and to have confidence in and trust in and believe because you have not been damaged or wounded. Many people carry a lot of wounds to church. We've come from backgrounds. I know of in this very city where there are people who, that are members of churches that are forbidden to take vacations unless the pastor first tells them it's okay. I'm serious. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Amen. I know of others. We have a young man, a family in this church. A young man married someone from another church, which, of course, that other church, the pastor said, is the only church in this city that's really preaching the Word of God. And because they got married here at this church, oh, heaven forbid, <laughs> he told them they were not legally married and talked her into leaving her husband. That is wrong, 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 wrong. Amen. I know of others that I did another wedding where the pastor forbid the, the girl's family to attend their daughter's own wedding here because it wasn't done by their church and therefore God didn't honor it. You see, it's not smoke unless it comes out of their chimney, I guess. <laughs> Amen. That is not what the scripture is talking about when it says obey. Number two. It says, obey them that have the rule over you. The Greek actually means to lead or to deem or to judge. You get this. It's to make a judgment decision. Now, in, in other words, be persuaded to follow those who make judgment decisions because they've never hurt you. Why do we need judgment decisions to be made? It's because the Bible was written many, many hundreds and, and almost 2,000 years ago, and in some cases, well over 2,000 years ago, some of the books. Things in terms of principles, remain the same. But in terms of the socio factor, socio-economical uh, factors related to Scripture, for example, we deal, uh, those things do change. For example, there was no such thing as pornography, per se, back then. They hadn't invented television. They hadn't invented movies. There was no pornography industry located in Hollywood. Somebody says, uh, what about smoking? Well, they didn't have cigarettes back then either, did they? And so I can't stand up here today and tell you the Bible says you shall not watch television because they didn't have it when the Bible was written. 
But I will tell you, the older I get, the more convinced I am it is one of the greatest evils that has ever come into the world. Amen. I'm not going to tell you not to watch it, but if you let your children and grandchildren be raised and babysat by that thing, I want to tell you they're teaching your family values that are totally counter to the teachings of the Word of God. And you better protect them. I'm talking about even from stuff on the Disney Channel. I'm preaching. Yes, I am. I'm going to rip and tear this morning. I'm going to do it in love. But some of us, because both husbands and wives now work, let, we have had generations of children raised by the babysitter called TV. And it has been very detrimental. You say, you don't watch it? Hardly ever. I'll watch a little news in the course of a week on weekends. <clears throat> the rest of the time, I'd rather read my news. But the simple uh, truth is, I don't even like to watch the, the hour anymore. It's gotten so bad. Literally, it's gotten so bad that, I mean, they're, they're, they're constantly slandering and cutting. It's, it's the biggest bunch of filth that's ever been poured out. Even the news has gotten so bad. I'm telling you, it's the truth. I happen to be in ministry. The only credibility I have is the life that I've lived. A good name is rather to be chosen than silver. And you know what? We live in a day and age when they're constantly, the atmosphere is let's shred this person's integrity. Let's shred this person's name. You'll every once in a while see some body go on Facebook or something, don't even know what they're talking about, and go to slamming and tearing somebody else up. You know what I say? Don't let your ears become garbage containers, okay? You know why? The Bible said, and you don't re even receive an accusation against someone that is in a position of leadership in his church, and even against your own brother and sister, except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Because this is why. If you get mad at your brother without a cause, you're in danger of the council. You get mad at your brother and call him a fool, you're in danger of hell's fire. Why? Because you have just spoken against somebody made in the image and likeness of God that God put in this earth with a destiny and sent here for a reason and a purpose. I wish I could get an amen. And that person may have been sent there to help you. But now you can't receive from them because somebody shredded their integrity. Now you can't receive a thing from them anymore. As a minister, I'm constantly aware that everything that I do can be seriously hurt and injured by somebody attacking my character. And you know what I have to do? I leave it up to him. Amen. David said, maybe the Lord has bidden me, bidden him to, to curse me. Speaking of Shimei. Amen. David refused to get into a fight because you go to slinging mud, you're going to end up losing ground as the old expression goes. And you know what? God let David take, uh, God, uh, David let God take care of him. And trust me, if your mouth has been used for slander, God will deal with you. So obey, which means to be persuaded, to listen to those who have the rule, which means to make a judgment. Because as I mentioned a while ago, there are some things that principles that remain the same, but situations change, social factors change. And so that word literally comes from the same word that would mean like make a Supreme Court ruling. So what we in ministry have to do, and you as a father and mother to your own family have to do the same thing. You have to look at a situation that there's no clear cut precedent for 
and scripture. And you have to say, it is not consistent with the teachings of the Bible to do this. Like I said, there's no such t- word. Uh, there's it, Pornography over cable TV didn't even exist. But the principle is there. Don't look on a woman to lust after her. Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? Meaning with lust in mind. So the principle is there. Okay. Then it says, submit yourselves. Be submissive for they watch out for your souls. The word submit means to yield or not resist. Because so many people resist the leadership. And so when there is leadership that has been in your life, that has been persuasive in terms of they have benefited you rather than hurt you. They make rulings, which is an analysis of a situation based upon the teachings of Scripture that you're to submit to that decision instead of resist it because you don't want to get out on that limb and find everything out for yourself. Trust me, if you have to learn everything the hard way, it's going to be a hard life. For they watch for your soul. The Greek means to be sleepless and stay awake. Literally, that's what it means. The calling of leadership is to stay awake, to watch, to be a watchman. Leadership is not allowed to sleep on the job. And they must give an account. In the Greek, one of the meanings is to pay as in a debt. In other words, my responsibility is I am indebted to God and to you. Hold together a different kind of animal than you got to follow me because I'm the big pumbaa around here. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? I have a debt to God. He saved me. I have a debt to you. You're my brother and sister. I have been called. God has given me or other leadership, not just, I mean, even within the church, we've got all kind of levels of leadership. You're called to a position to lead. And you have a debt to those that follow. And never, never, never can anyone ever say here that I've ever preached, you do it because I said do it. I will not follow that kind of leadership, nor will I allow it to be used here. Amen. My debt is to serve you. This is why I am gratified. Look, I hear other pastors talk about they're burned out. Not me, baby. I'm having the time of my life. I love what I do. I wouldn't do anything else but what I'm doing right now. And yes, I owe a debt to God, but he's been so good to me. (laughs) The Lord's been good to me if you don't know it. Amen. And I'm happy to pay it. And it says, I must give an account. The Greek word here is actually logos. It's the same word used in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God, verse 14. And the word was made flesh. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God. The logos was God. The logos was made flesh. Amen. And so what this is saying is, I am the one. uh, Other leaders are, are, are with a similar calling that... We have responsibilities to give an account, an account. That's not just an account to God. It's an account of the word. It speaks also of the teaching function of leadership in our lives. We've got to share the logos with you, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this is why I want to talk to you about ministry coverings. What are ministry coverings and what purpose or function do they serve the body of Christ? In the series, I've already taught seven series, I've told you there are eight different types of, of spiritual coverings, and I've taught a series on each one of the preceding seven. And as I've mentioned, whatever measure of the working or the revelation of the blood of Jesus or of prayer, of worship, of grace, love, anointing, or glory that is experienced by your covering, which also is not just the ch- 
the ministry of that church is the church itself because the church ministers to you. I want us to look at what that means because whatever the measure of revelation is, that is in your covering. Watch this because this is really important. So let me first tell you what a ministry covering is not because if you're covered by a ministry covering, you've got these eight things that are inherent in that covering in one church setting. It may be they're a little more balanced this way, a little heavy this way, less heavy this way, but you have ministry coverings and look at the seven churches of Asia. Each one of them were unique and had their own identity, yet they were anointed of God. But let me tell you now what a ministry covering is not. It seems that people generally look at a church and ministry with one of two major perspectives in mind. They either look at the church and ministry they are committed to as though I'm a slave to that church. I got to do every single thing. I got to lay myself down and be a, a, a doormat for that church and ministry. Or they look at that church and see its flawed nature, the people in it who are flawed, the leadership who are very human. This is not angel's wings growing out of my back. These are shoulder blades. Amen. I'm as human as you. They're highly flawed and suspect and they say, these people are not worthy of trust. This church can't be trusted. The church messed up my life. And nonetheless, it does offer something that I need but I, I, because I can't find it anywhere else. But it's just, <sighs> you have to wait through so much stuff. Both attitudes are incorrect. You don't lay down and be a doormat. Neither do you come in here into the house of God or any church with this attitude that oh, I can't take anything from you because you're just a human like I am. Wake up to the fact. Sorry about it, but God chose to use people. Did you know that? Don't like, the, don't like it, take it up with him. Amen. Wasn't my decision. It was nobody else's. It was God's. Both attitudes are incorrect and position a person in such a way that what they receive from their ministry covering is negatively affected and limited. They limit and hinder your ability to receive what a ministry covering is supposed to provide in your life. Both attitudes also tell us more about the person themselves mm -hmm, than the ministry or the church they relate to. Many years ago, a psychologist by the name of, I think it was Eric, Dr. Eric Burney wrote the book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody remember that? In which he talked about four different basic kinds of people. This is the way that people look at themselves and look at others. First, there is the person who says, I'm okay, but you are far from it. You're not okay. Second, I'm okay, or, or rather, uh, a second, you're okay, but I'm not okay. I'm messed up. Third, there is the one that believes I'm not okay and you're not either. Let's go have a drink. Neither one of us are worth shooting. Amen. And finally, there is the individual whose outlook on himself and others is we're both okay. That's the healthy outlook, by the way. The other three are very unhealthy. And the person who thinks I, this impacts your life, the person who thinks I'm okay, but you aren't, will always be in distant and arrogant in their interpersonal relationships. They will judge you. Amen. If you think I'm okay, but you're not, you're going to be judging people. You're going to be condemning. You're going to be scrutinizing. You're going to make people feel like they're under a microscope all the time. They're usually so self-absorbed and busy that they don't even really have time to be bothered by the rest of us ordinary, average folk anyway, unless they need something. Hello, help me out. 
if they do condescend to spend time with you, it's because they feel good like they've helped the lowly masses. They've blessed you with the honor of their company. It's kind of like a cat that rubs itself up against your leg. It's not because it likes you. It's because it feels good when it rubs up against your leg. It's stroking its own fur. Hate to tell you cat lovers that. I just told you something you're going to hate me about. Amen. True. That's what they actually say about a cat. It rubs up against your leg because it makes it feel good. To heck with you. It don't care about you at all. Amen. So if they go on something like a mission trip or help a needy cause, and these people will be involved in very good ministries, it's because they've identified a need that they, in their superiority, can now come along and help, which then makes them feel good about themselves. The problem is they limit what God can do for their sacrifice of time and service. They're like the people who went to the temple blowing the trumpets and putting in big offerings. And then along comes a little lady who doesn't have anything but a couple of mites. And she doesn't have anybody blowing trumpets. And she drops it in and Jesus says she gave more than all those others put together. They got their reward as everybody was, ooh, ah, Facebook, Instagram, look at that. Social media. She didn't have any Facebook or Instagram page. She gave it. Nobody knew about it but God. But God who sees in secret rewards openly. Amen. The individual who believes you're okay but I'm not okay is a person who has been damaged to such a degree that they have not yet come to see themselves as Christ sees them. That is, they don't see themselves as having incredible value. And as a gift from God to this world, which they actually are, their relationships are based on usually one of two things, hero worship or resentment. They often really look up to others in an unrealistic way because they see themselves so low and so damaged and so wounded. They'll look at the rest of us who are equally as flawed but not see the flaws and put us up on a pedestal and get involved in this hero worship idol kind of thing. There's a lot of that in today's society. Anybody that watches Kim Kardashian, it, a holy hush descended on the house just now, who is living success vicariously through Kanye and Kim's life. That's what I'm talking about. Ooh, ooh. They're doing so well. Movie star said it, so it's got to be right. Maybe three years ago, they were waiting on tables in McDonald's, working at the drive-thru. They didn't learn that much in the last three years. They just got lucky. Amen. But we put them up on a pedestal because we feel so damaged, and we feel like we're not going to be able to make it somewhere. And you know what happens if you put people up there for a while? After a while, you're going to resent those people. may not happen right away, but sooner or later, you're going to notice they are up here, and I'm down here. Why did they get so blessed and I'm not? It will hurt your relationship with God. It will also affect your relationship with others. And you know what we are all about as human beings? Defense mechanisms. So we look at this person and after a while we begin to resent them. And you know what we start saying? Uh, There's got to be something wrong with that person somewhere. And we start shredding their name and their integrity. Because you see, we have one of two options. Either we build ourselves up to that level, which is hard. 
Or, here's the easy way, tear them down to our level. Hey, that's easy. All I got to do is rip them to shreds. And then, guess what? Everybody becomes suspicious of them, and now they're on my level. I don't look so low anymore. I'm on their level now. You can question the motives of others. You may impugn their character in an effort to bring them down. This is the modus operandi of today's world. Every time you turn on television, this is the filth that is spewing out of TV on the, on the news at this, on the 6 o'clock broadcast. I don't care who it's about, Democrat or Republican. I've never seen so much hate speech in all of my life. I wish I could hear an amen. And so, you know, the other thing they do is not only tear somebody else down, they will try to build themselves up. They'll, in church, they'll use statements like this, God told me. In other words, you better listen to me. I can't make you listen to me because I'm way down here in my own mind and you're up here. But if I throw this, God told me to tell you this in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can, you can argue with me, but you better not argue with God. Amen. And that, they think, lends themselves credibility. They will manipulate others. And these are also, sadly, the most easily walked on people in a church. Because if you look up to others, you subject yourself to people who are flawed and wounded. And they may very well walk all over you, make you a doormat so that they can feel like they're doing something with their life. And that is not appropriate. The person who believes I'm not okay and you're not okay either is someone who is really down on everybody and very unhappy. And just between me and you, don't try to make them happy. You are wasting your time. They have trained themselves. In a room of 1,000 things, 998 can be right and two can be wrong. You can do 998 good things for them. They won't even notice. They'll walk right over to the two things and say, why did you do this? If you're married to somebody like that, I can tell you life is not good for you right now. Am I preaching to somebody? Let me help you with this, okay? You see, the reason they don't work well with others is because they don't trust others. And the reason they don't trust others is they don't trust themselves. Amen. And then there's the person that believes I'm okay and you're okay too. And this is someone who has come to understand the biblical concept of unconditional love. That God loves every one of us with a passion that cannot be described or ever understood because it is beyond the ability of mortal man to be able to comprehend it. They're secure in their identity because they're not having to build their identity on their accomplishments. Neither do they judge you on the basis of your accomplishments or lack thereof. Amen. They can rejoice in the accomplishments of others because when they rejoice and build you up, They don't feel so low down here that they're even putting you higher out of reach. Did you ever notice some people can never rejoice with you when you do well? The reason is they feel so low. I mean, you just had something wonderful happen and you can't wait to share it with everybody. And you go and, and right in the middle of the conversation, they'll say something like, uh, I wonder what the weather's like in Australia right now and change the subject on you. They don't want to rejoice with you. Here's another one. In ministry, a dead giveaway is, how easy can you tell somebody I love you? 
Because if you can't say I love you, it means you're so wounded that you don't feel loved yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm really laying it out. And, and I don't mean to hurt anybody by being this plain. Amen. I'm telling you these things about ministry because a lot of people have become confused about what ministry coverings are. Ministry coverings are not what I've just described. Amen. Because a ministry covering does have imperfect people that are working with you and in conjunction and in community to try to build your life, theirs, and the kingdom of God. I wish you could hear me. Now let's look at what ministry coverings actually are and what they mean to us. Number one, we should know that ministry coverings are the covering that a church or ministry provides its members. It is a combination of the seven types of spiritual coverings. Ministry covering is the eighth. The first seven combined together make the ministry covering. That is blood coverings, prayer coverings, worship coverings, coverings of grace, love coverings, coverings of the anointing, coverings of glory. Combined together create the ministry covering. Number two, ministry coverings help you extend the power of the kingdom of God in your life beyond your own ability or level of revelation. Did you hear that? Beyond your ability or level of revelation. That is to say, because that covering is comprised of people who are joining together in prayer, worship, glory, love. It increases the product so that the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Watch this now. Amen. And because I, I really want you to get this. Dorcas was raised from the dead by her ministry covering when she wasn't even able to be alive to pray for herself. Her prayers were ended. She died. The church got together, went to Simon Peter and said, hey, listen, Simon, this lady was so good that she ministered to the poor and the homeless and the sick and she sewed clothes and, and gave alms and did all of this and we can't let her die. We need her. Some people are too good to let go of. And you know what Peter did? He went in with the church praying behind him, closed the door, prayed for that woman and, and raised her back to life. It wasn't her prayer that did it. You gotta watch this now. It wasn't her prayer. She was already dead. There is a place where somebody that is connected in your covering can help you receive something beyond the level of your own ability or even the level of your own revelation. Number three, ministry coverings extend the love of God and concern. Samuel was Saul's ministry covering. And long after God said, I'm not having anything to do with him, Samuel continued to love and care for Saul because real ministry coverings don't want to give up. And number four, the example of Moses and Israel also demonstrate another thing that ministry coverings provide. Ministry coverings extend God's faithfulness in that they don't ever quit. They continue to pray for you. Moses continued to intercede with Israel for God when even God on four different occasions wanted to give up on Israel, abandon them, and start over by creating a new nation that would trust him and believe in him. And God said, get out of the way, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. And, God, and Moses said, if you do, you've got to wipe me out also. Kill me. And he laid right down in the middle of God's path and said, you have to walk over me to get to them. There is a point to be made to show you that ministry coverings are human. Moses, on other occasions, said, God, kill every one of them. I'm tired of dealing with them. <laughs> Reprobates. If Moses and God had ever had a bad day on the same day, there would be no nation of Israel right now. Amen. 
There's an item of religious clothing that most of us have seen that symbolizes what a ministry covering looks like. That is, it gives us a visual from which we can extract meaning that can be applied to our lives in modern circumstances. I'm referring to the prayer shawl or the talit. The Hebrew word for it is the talit. I have one here with me in the pulpit given to me by uh, Brother Chris Jones, who was a missionary to Mexico and Belize. He ministered to tens of thousands of street children. We've supported that ministry for many years. You've seen out in the hallway a glass jar that contains coins. Our kids are always raising money to help people that live in garbage dumps, literally live in garbage dumps, get their food from the discarded remnants of food thrown away by restaurants and families and the garbage. Chris gave me this. Chris was part Jewish. I'm going to make a, a confession to you this morning that you don't even know anything about because I've never told you before. And uh, before I do, you don't ever see these, and nor am I asking you to get one. So I see Christians that believe we ought to do all this Jewish stuff. This shawl uh, is like uh, many other things in the Old Testament, like sacrifices, wave offerings, cities of refuge, and other mosaic requirements that represent something that was fulfilled in Christ. They each give us a picture of what that thing looks like. That's why I have this, and I keep it because it reminds me of that. I've never told you this, but my family is part Jewish my, on my mother's side. Her name was Falk, F-A-U-L-K. Look it up and you will find that the word Falk is an Ashkenazi or European Hebrew name out of Germany and it means falcon. My mother's family were, were originally Jewish. Jews have been persecuted during the centuries, especially in places like Germany where they were burned at the stake, literally, by people like our beloved Martin Luther founder of the Reformation. You didn't know that, did you? That he actually killed Jewish people. Many of them fled Germany to France, which is really interesting because uh, the letter to the Galatians is the letter to the Gauls. If you know anything about people groups, the Gauls are the French people. That's my culture. So when I read the book of Galatians, it's Paul writing a letter to me because I've got French blood. Amen. But it's to all of us, actually. And so they fled Germany to France. And then whenever the, the explorers... The voyeurs, the, uh, voyeurs they, they went into Canada and the upper parts of the United States exploring the fur trappers and so forth. They sent word back to France about this new land that they had found and many people, settlers, migrated to Canada, the northern part of the U.S. Among them were my mother's people. You can read the story uh, about the expulsion of the, the French people. They founded a, a from Canada later. You can read it even in the poem uh, Evangeline by, by Longfellow. That's the story of my mother's people. But uh, they founded a place they called Acadiana. And if you go straight up north past Maine, you will come to Acadiana. It's still there. And whenever they, the French and the British fought, the French lost, the British kicked them out and exiled them down to Louisiana. They sent them there because they heard it was a terrible place with nothing but swamps and mosquitoes and malaria. And that's where they dropped off the ancestors of my mother, the Cajun people. Cajun, which is short for Acadian. Right, that's how it came. Still an Acadiana up north, as I mentioned. And so um, recent technological uh, discoveries such as DNA testing have come to reveal the actual history of the Akkadian people. There is a very high percentage of them that have Jewish blood. They settled in the swamps of Louisiana, intermarried with the slaves, the American Indians, the holdovers from the conquistadors, Spanish conquistadors and the Italians. And that is me. I am a mongrel. Amen. 
made up of a little bit of everything. And then you throw in a little bit of the Norwegian from my grandfather's side of the family. And, and so that's me. And most Cajun people have lost their identity. They don't realize that they have Jewish blood. This is the talit. And it is worn whenever a man goes to pray. You have seen the pictures of it. And this is the way it is worn. And then it gathers over his shoulders. And I'm not going to keep the thing on me the whole time because I want to make some demonstrations here. At the each corner there is, if you will know, notice a long series of knots and cords. Uh, there are exactly eight threads and there are exactly five knots that together form what is called the seat seat. And the seat seat literally means 600, okay? Now, uh, it is the numerical equivalent. In the Hebrew, every letter has a numerical value. So this means 600. These numbers were not chosen by God as an accident when he commanded Israel to wear the talit in the book of Numbers, which they still will to wear to this day. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Five is the number of grace. Remember this. The number 613 corresponds to the 613 commandments of the laws of God. Eight threads, five knots. And so you have eight number of new beginnings. You have five the number of grace. Added to the 600 is 613. There are exactly 613 commandments in God's word. Amen. The first three numbers, that is the seven, the eight, and the eleven, because this is the way it works. You take the long thread and you wind it around each of the knots. The first knot, you wind it around it seven times. Second, eight times. Third, eleven times. Fourth knot, thirteen times. If you add the value of the first three knots, guess what you get? Twenty-six. Twenty-six is the uh, tetragrammaton, which is the unspeakable name of God. Look it up in the dictionary. Jews are not allowed to speak the name of God. Even when they write God, they write G-D. They cannot speak his, his mighty name. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad I know the name of Jesus. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. And so when they put this on, what they're doing is they're hiding. Oh, you got to see this. Got to see this. They're hiding underneath the word of God. All of the laws of God. Not only that, they've got the name of God that is unspeakable right there. And they hold on to these knots. They've got grace and new beginnings because that's what the word of God will give you. Hallelujah. The remaining number, the number 13, the numerical equivalent is the same word that the Shema ends with. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahud. Ahud, that last word, that is one. And so not only do you have the word of God, you've got the name of God, unspeakable name. You've also got, I am carrying the word of the one mighty true God whose name is holy. Hallelujah. And beyond the ability to speak. Whenever the Jewish lady in Matthew 9, verse 20 through 21, with the issue of blood for 12 years, remember 12 is the number of authority in Scripture. Divine authority. She had been under authority of the devil, and somebody walked by. Jesus was wearing his talit. Oh, you got to get this. Now, this is so cool. And as he's walking by, she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment. You know what she meant? If I can touch the talit, 
if I can touch the word of God, if I can touch the name of God, if I can touch the one true God, I will be healed because he has divine authority over everything that has me bound. And the moment she touched it, she was made whole. Woo! You know where Jesus was on his way to when she touched him? To pray for Jairus' daughter who was coming up to the age of 12 and died. And what he did is he took his talit, wrapped her in it, put the knots in her hand. You said, I didn't see that in scripture. That's because you didn't bother to look up the Greek. And then said to her, Talitha kumni. You know what it means in the Greek? You who are wrapped in the talit, rise. When you've got the word of God wrapped around you, things begin to happen. When you've got the name of Jesus over you, when you've got the authority of a ministry covering Things begin to happen. And the, the name for this, the Talit, actually has a meaning as well. You know what it means? A little tent. <laughs> you get the picture? You got the big tent that's a tabernacle, but you can't go in there unless you're of the tribe of Levi. So you got the cloud that covers Israel. You got the tent that covers the nation. Amen provides a ministry covering. Now you have the little tent. Since you are not of the tribe of Levi, you can't go in it. But every time you put that on, you're standing in your own sanctuary. You're standing in the presence of God. Oh, you got to hear this. You're fulfilling Psalms 91, verse 1 through 13. Amen. You're fulfilling Psalms 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for in the time of trouble. He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me on a rock. Amen. So you're literally standing in this, the, the holy place, though you weren't even supposed to be there. And then this seat, seat, you know what it means? Not only does it have the numerical equivalent that I gave you a while ago of 600, it also means wings. Psalms 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noise of pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings. His name, his word, hello. His oneness, his divine nature. Under his, all, his talit. Under his seat seat, you will, you, will, you will dwell. You will take refuge. His truth will be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by day, nor by the arrow that flies by, uh, by, the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at wound day. A thousand will fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand not come near you. With your eyes you shall look. See the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High. Your dwelling. He shall give his angels over you to keep you in all your ways in their hands. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot. I felt the Holy Ghost hit me just then. Oh, Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. 
You can't even dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread on the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. That's why Malachi 4.2 said, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The seat seat. And you shall go out and grow like grow fat like staff-fed calves. Literally, when you wear the seat seat, you're portraying what a spiritual covering is. Moses wore a talit, as did Joshua, as did Samuel. When you're wearing the talit, you're, you're, that is a physical demonstration of what a spiritual covering is. Did you know that David wore a talit when he faced Goliath? He was commanded to in the book of Numbers. So did the prophet Elijah. It was Elijah's talit that floated back to earth that Elisha caught when Elijah was carried away in a whirlwind in a fiery chariot. And he folded it together and went over to the waters of Jordan and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And smote the waters and the waters poured it and God showed up, hallelujah. The three Hebrew children each wore a talit in the fiery furnace. Daniel wore a talit in the lion's den. Jesus wore a talit in the garden of Gethsemane. It was his talit that the Romans gambled for at the foot of his cross. So there was a divine order in the way this worked. Watch this first. There was the cloud. Under the cloud was the tabernacle. And then since not everybody could get in the tabernacle, everybody had their little tent. If you're not under the covering of the big tent, your little tent's not doing any good. I, I just preached something more profound than you just were able to receive. Because there has to be a divine order. If you're not under a spiritual covering, you can't give a covering. Now watch what you're supposed to be doing. This is a picture of a father at the wailing wall with his two sons. He's got his talit on. You see what he did with his Talit, he's got a son under each arm and he spread his talit over them. Daddy, that is a picture of what God called you to do in today's world. You don't let the enemy get by them because you're under a covering, you're able to give a covering. Okay, back up. Let's put it in grandma. Slow reverse. Got to do this slow so some of you can catch it. If you're under a covering, you can provide a covering. This is why the Bible says, obey them that make these decisions or rulings. It wasn't trying to get you to jump through hoops like so many people try to make you do these days. It was all about spiritual coverings. Amen. That's what it was actually about. And I want you to stand with me because my time is gone. <laughs> Have I helped anybody today? Ministry coverings. You are under a ministry covering. Come and gather with me right now.